What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Sapira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... <laughs> no, no, that's actually funny. That's not, and it's funny, and I'll tell you why. That's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Look, I don't want to be like Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. Bill, we got to talk about Philip Jablonski. This is like a serial killer, but he's not the most typical serial killer. This is a really interesting story because a lot of it takes place in the 70s and 80s. It's kind of like a remnant of a different time, I feel like we'll get into. I feel like it's a lot of it's kind of the failure of the system and the system that failed some of these victims. As I'm reading about it, um, you knew this guy personally, right? Yeah, I did. And um, he's no longer with us. He passed away in 2019. But if you guys want a good picture of this guy, this guy was Mr. Burns from The, uh, the Simpsons. The Simpsons. That's what this guy looked like. Creepy old man like that. And were you talking to him regularly? Was this part of your job where you assisted the elderly, basically dying inmates who a bunch of them were serial killers? Yeah, he was on. He's an elderly guy. So, yes, he was part of the yard that I was on uh, where I was working as the IDAP worker, which is the inmate disability assistant program worker. And I was where most of my uh, interviews took place with most of these serial killers. So, yeah, I, talk, I saw him on a daily basis. Uh, you know, really unkept guy, old, dirty, um, just, you know, a guy who just allowed time to just bend him. But nonetheless, a real creepy little guy. How interested were you in him versus some of your other subjects? I mean, did you find him... You know, we're, we're separating kind of what he's done, but the fact that you have to interact with him as part of your job. I mean, was he interesting? Was he intelligent? Was he funny? Or was he just weird and creepy? Yeah, he was weird and creepy. He really didn't have a person. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. He talked, but he really didn't, uh, didn't say a whole lot. He kept everything very close to his, to his, uh, to his chest. And I think it's because he really didn't have a personality. Very quiet. He walked around a lot. And he actually hung around with really another serial killer um, by the name of um, David Carpenter, who was known as the trail site killer. And David Carpenter is actually the oldest guy on death row. He's like 94 years old. So you can imagine these two guys walking around together. But... Um, yeah, they, they were really strange. Both of them are quiet, but obviously both killers. 
Yeah. So we'll get into his later life in prison. He got into some weird stuff, some kind of love triangle that was maybe in his own head or not. I don't know. We'll we'll have to talk about it and in your time knowing him. But first, let's get a little background on this guy. I'm looking him up on Wikipedia. It says his, he was abused by his alcoholic father, as we've seen before. Did he tell you anything about his upbringing? Well, he said his father was very strict. He was very harsh, very strict. Not a whole lot of home to play. But there wasn't a lot of back and forth about his childhood. He kept that very close to himself. But we do know that he was sexually abused by his father. So was his mother. His mother was raped by her, by, by his father. And later on, we see this guy develop into a similar personality. So this is a kind of a good subject where you would say that these so-called experts now say, look, oh yeah, this is a perfect example of a guy who is is uh, really a product of his environment. Abusive father, sexually abusive father, and this guy turns into a rapist and a, a murderer. And that's partially true. And this guy's different than most serial killers I've run across because he really starts off late in life. Um, he does kill, but it's mostly people he knows and women that he's very close to. And for him, it's almost like the act of sex is a is a violent act for him, and he needs to do things while he's doing it um, to justify or to feel like he's accomplished his goal. Where other serial killers, the gratification is, is a little bit different. So this guy develops different as a serial killer, and, and, and we should get into that. So with this guy, so his name is obviously Philip Carl Jomblonski, and um, you know. Abuses of the childhood, but not so much that he stuck out. All that's really said, he's abused sexually by his father, and then he witnessed his mother being raped by her by his father. And in high school, he is pretty normal. He enlists in the army. He meets a girl by the name of Alice McGowan, and he ends up really in a relationship with her. It's really the first relationship he ever gets into. But he goes off to Vietnam to kill. In the Vietnam War, that stuff doesn't really do good for men who are unstable to begin with. He gets married in 1968 to Alice, and, you know, his relationship with her is, is, is really uh, telling, because I asked him about this. I asked him, so, you know, what, what is it about this whole thing and you and sex and stuff? And he would just kind of chuckle to himself. didn't say a whole lot at first, so I started really pushing speaking about other things he was doing while he was on death row, but he began to open up a little bit. So I asked him, so what's the deal with this whole suffocation and strangling while he's having sex? And his reply was very matter-of-fact. And it started with his, with his wife, Alice. So he would suffocate her with his pillow, and he would strangle her until she passed out. And I asked him specifically about that, and his reply was one word, whore. And I, I said, so what? I mean, she, she, was, she cheated on you? She goes, no, 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 just women. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, you know, they're always after something. They always want something. And I said, well, I mean, she's your wife. You're having sex with your wife. Why do you take it to a different level? Why do you escalate? And he says, uh, I like it. 
so uh, I said, okay, well, you know, what do you like about it? And he says that I, I could control it. I, I, could, I could kill her if I wanted to. And, you know, she she was who she was, and I, I needed to to really control and dominate during sex. I said, well, yeah, a lot of guys probably do that, but they don't end up trying to kill the person. And then he kind of switched up. Well, I wasn't really trying to kill her. I, you know, I was just, you know, it was she liked it. So uh, I used to practice, you know, suffocation and intoxic this kind of intoxication while you're and that didn't make any sense. So I figured he's lying. He, he, he tried to cover himself. So his wife obviously leaves him very early on after he, he tries to suffocate and kill her by by having sex and strangling her. So very soon after that he meets a girl by name, a woman by the name of Jane Sanders. And on their first date, he rapes her. And Matt, please explain this thing. I, I didn't understand this at all. And when I asked him about it, he gave me an answer, and I thought, okay, I guess that makes sense to a crazy rapist, you know, potential killer, but does it make sense to you? So he meets this girl, he rapes her the first date, but yet she stays together with this guy. Well, I don't understand that. Well, is this kind of the traditional definition of rape? I mean, he restrained her, held her down, or threatened her, or put a gun or a knife to her head or something like that? Or is this like she well, later I mean, decided it was rape? Well, I mean, according to all reports and even his trial, he, he raped her. And very soon after that, she gets pregnant and they moved to California together. And he's abusive during sex again. This is it's almost like it's leading up. His anger is really picking up. And she wanted to stop during one of those you know, sexual encounters. And he pulls out a gun and puts it to her head and cocks the hammer. And of course, then he hits her with the gun until she's unconscious. And he rapes her. When she wakes up, he's raping her. She does leave him in 1972, but she spent three years with this guy. And she had a child by the guy. And I just, I, I, I would try to figure out why he did what he did. So I kept asking him, so what is it about these women that you find repulsive? And, and his words always just poor. And then I, I would say, well, I don't get it. I mean, I understand that you, you dislike them, but you seek relationships. So obviously there's something that attracts you. And his reply was, well, yeah, the sex, you know, yeah, but one not once I'm having sex, there's something gets out of hand, and I need to do this to really reach that level of gratification that he wants. So that's a classic serial killer mentality that he needs to dominate, he needs to control, and he seems to continue doing this. But uh, once she leaves him, he goes to an acquaintance's house, and he rapes her at, gun, at, a, at knife point. But she gets away with him, away from him, and goes to the police. They arrest him and convict him of rape. This is 1972. So is this in response to his emotional state when his wife left him? I mean, is this the same day, the same week? Like, how are these two incidents related, really? I mean, is that what he said? That yeah. Well, there are a few. I mean, I always see when people tell me stories, I normally tell me what they're feeling. I usually really start interrogating them without them knowing I'm interrogating.
parachute joint, I had someone send me his case. So I read the entire what happened. There, there were a few months apart, but you could say that it was a delayed trigger effect that he was. That he's always been this aggressive guy that likes. I mean, rapists. It's not about love. It's, it's about control. It's about hatred. It's about it's a violent act. And this guy seemed to fit the profile of a person who really connects violence and control with sex. That he is the dominant. That he is the one in control. And, well, look, they convict him of that crime and he goes to prison. Um, and he gets out. And back then, when you rape somebody, you only got a few years and you did good time, you're out within two or three years. We've seen that happen a number of times. Nowadays, you're stuck for life. You're, you're not going anywhere. But he's out by 1977, which is a couple of years after, a few years after, and he meets a woman by the name of Linda Kimple. And they immediately move in together. So he has a little bit of a charm about him. But if you look at the guy, the guy is creepy, unkept, dirty, um, Obviously, he had something back then that maybe, maybe uh, attracted these women to him, but she got pregnant by him and she gave birth to his daughter in 19, that, that same December of 1977. And, uh, you know, this guy doesn't really stay clean for a while. The following year, he tries to rape Linda Kimball's mother. And... You know, she, she runs to her daughter and tells her what happened. And by July 16th, uh, Kimball is found dead at her apartment because she had come back to pick up some clothing and stuff that she wanted from the apartment because she had left them. And this is where this particular guy, that rage, takes over. She's left them. She's come back. He needs to control it. To control her, he can't. So he beats her to death, he stabs her, he strangles her, he rapes her, and a few days, 11 days later, he's arrested for that murder. And look, he, it's 1977. He's given 12 years for murder. Sorry, 1978. And 1990, he's released. 12 years later, he is released. And he's out on the streets again. Um, but the funny thing is, man, that while he's in prison, he's courting women. He puts out a newspaper article seeking women, and he meets a woman while he's in prison named Carol Spadoni, and they marry. They get married. In prison. Yeah. Well, you get conjugal visits in prison in those days, even though you're a sexual predator. And he got, he married her, and he gets out. Let me call her back. Well, I got a few questions here, Bill. How did he meet this woman, and what did she see in him? She knew what he was in prison for, I assume. Yeah, that's a funny thing about these some of these women that go after these guys that have rapes, that have sexual predator tendencies, that are there for being sexual predators. And this woman, Carol. Spadoni uh, saw him and he put in an article in these people. And a lot of prisoners do that. They, these, nowadays, there's websites that you can put your name, your photograph, and say that you're a fun-loving guy who loves puppies and walking on the beach. And you have a lot of women who write these guys, and they end up with Some of these relationships are very normal. But in this case, she finds them in the newspaper, writes them, 
they start to talk, they get married, and when he gets out, he goes to her home, which is this, this whole anger that he has towards people. She obviously met him, talked to him, wrote him in prison, more than likely sent him packages, sent him money, and he gets out, and in April 23rd, he goes to her home in Burdigan, California, which is the Bay Area, and he murders her, her mother, he strangles, like shoots, stabs, and suffocates Carol Spagone, the, the person who's been uh, married to him and the person who's been writing him. And then he rapes and shoots her mother, Eva Peterson, and leaves him there. Just like that. Yeah. So I read that in when he was in prison he had attacked his mother did he? and he was released for good behavior uh, and it just seems like everyone should have kind of seen this coming well you get to remember this is the 1980s and very very early 90s and yeah that he attacked his own mother they probably got a write up and it was forgotten it was just left to a dispute that these days parole boards didn't have the kind of power they have today back then if you were such a predator, but you had a release date, there's really nothing to do to keep you if you served your time. And if you serve your full time, say you get five years, back then you did two and a half to three years, and you got out your own parole for a year and a half to meet the five year sentence. But if he stayed in prison the whole five years, that means it's called he timed out, means he did all of his time. So there's no parole. So instead of being paroled the street for a year, reporting the parole, the guy elects to stay in prison. So when he gets out, nobody can watch him. Nobody can keep tabs on him. And that's exactly what he does. So when he gets out, he goes out, does whatever he wants, and the first thing he does is he murders and kills Carol Spadoni and her mother. And it really starts, that's not, this is his third victim. So as a calculated thing, he decides, I don't want to be paroled. I want to get out and commit more crimes, more murders and rapes. Is it? Is he actually processing it that way? I believe, yes. And I asked him, he just said, yes. And, and, and from what I spoke to him about and what he told me, he had planned this from the very get-go. When he got out, he knew he was going to kill Carol and her mother. Well, the mother was by chance because Carol Spadoni was there with her but he planned to kill her. He has, as I said, a very huge hatred in him for women. And um, it doesn't stop there because actually that murder, double homicide happened on April 23rd. But on April 22nd, he is in Indio, California, and he kills Fatima Van. I hope I'm saying the name correct. She's a fellow student at a college that he attended to satisfy the conditions of this sort of parole that he still had. You know, if you, when you do that, you have to, when you get out, you have to show that you're not a rapist killer, that you're actually a guy who's being productive, you have a job, that you're going to be doing things productive. Um, and he is in college, or at least attending college, and he murders this woman. He shoots her in the head, he rapes her. He throws her naked into the desert, in a ditch of the desert, and he carves the words, I love Jesus, on her back. 
the knife. He also then mutilates the body by taking the eyes and the ears from her. Now, you and I have talked about this where serial killers usually know who they are by experimenting, by you know, killing animals. This guy really didn't have that. He's very later on in his life, but as soon as he starts killing once he leaves prison, I think prison even, prison even uh, twisted him more. Because in those days, prison, you could buy porn, you could do whatever you want, you could buy, uh, you know, that, that uh, dominatrix stuff, whatever you wanted to get, it would send it to you to prison. And I think during that time, he really, his mind was allowed to really wander and fantasize the things he wanted to do. And he realized who he was. And that's why he's escalating. He's, you know, he's killing. And it isn't but a few more days later, on April 27th, he murders uh, Margie Rogers uh, in Grand County, Utah. And again, he rapes her, shoots her twice in the head. And he just he goes across the state lines into Kansas where he's ultimately uh, arrested. He's tried for all the murders, which are now a total of five. The one was a previous murder, but the four murders he committed, and he is sentenced to death. Right. So, I'm trying to kind of get a handle on this guy. It's hard for me to peg him exactly. I feel like usually when people kill their significant others, mother-in-laws, it's a rage thing that uh, that overtook them. In this case, he's plotting it, but he also, from what you're saying, I mean, he must be smart enough to understand when you kill people you know, particularly if you have a history of it, it's not going to take long for you to land back in prison. So does he think he's somebody in prison? Does he enjoy the routine of it? I mean... Why Why is he doing this? Well, he has a satisfied antiquity here inside of him. He, he knows that he's going to get caught. And I asked him, well, he, you know, there's no way he can kill these people and not know anything. He goes, oh, yeah, I, I knew they were going to bust me. And I said, well, how does that work for you? He says, well, you know, I, I, I need to do this. It, it's what I wanted. I wanted to do this. And he didn't explain himself much more than that. But I said, well, listen, if, if you knew you were going to do this, and you knew that you were going to... You have to kill the guy. He goes, oh, but it lives with me. And I asked, what, what do you mean it lives with me? He said, well, once I got it, and I said, what did you get? Well, he says, once I killed and I associated with what I was doing, I, I, I had what I needed. He said, I didn't really plan on getting caught right then and there, but I did get arrested, but I had already killed five people, and I live with that. And he doesn't mean, like, I live with it, look, it's a bit terrible burden, it's a responsibility. No, he lives with me that it gets him off. It's what he wanted to do. He knew he was going to get arrested, but he, he couldn't help himself. He needed to do this. But it seems like part of him likes the attention. I mean, what's up with the I Love Jesus stuff? Is that to make the crime seem more gruesome, or was he actually that detached and having a religious hallucination or what's that about yeah when I asked him about the I love Jesus stuff he just chuckled he just thought it was a good idea that, at that particular moment but think of a serial killer like this guy like a person who smokes cigarettes you know it's gonna kill you it's gonna give you cancer 
but you, you've got to have it. You can't help yourself. It's, it's something that pushes you. Or an alcoholic who he knows he can't drive and drink, but he does so anyways, taking a chance is going to get caught. But the satisfaction of taking that drink, what it gives you, really pushes him to do it. It's a hundred or a thousand times more intense for a serial killer. He has to do this. Is he going to get caught? Yeah. So can, can a serial killer, or I guess him in particular, can he kill other people that he doesn't know to get that fix? Is that why a lot of serial killers you know, pick anonymous, marginalized people to kill? In terms of his self-preservation, is there a way to assuage this desire for him? Or is it is it worth it for him just to do it and deal with the consequences? Well, it depends on the serial killer. There, there are serial killers who pick their victims because of the way they look, because of something they said. They may be wearing a pair of shoes that reminds them of something else. Some of them have profiles. Other ones cross different lines. With this guy, it was a lot of opportunity. And Carol, he knew. And the mother was a bonus. Um, Van, somebody he knew at college. He did not know Margie uh, Rogers. So with this guy, whatever he saw an opportunity, um, he took it. These guys are different. Every serial killer is different. This particular one was very under underdeveloped. Jablonski uh, was not a refined serial killer. He was not very organized either. Although you can argue that, well, he knew Carol for years. His first, the first person he killed. He knew as well because, um, you know, he had lived with her and he understood what she was about. But that was him fumbling around. That was him torturing the animal that most serial killers, when they're very young, they do, or they like fires. With this guy, it developed differently. And he wasn't very refined. He had not perfected it. His MO wasn't perfected. None of those things were highly developed yet. So he's, a, he's very different than most serial killers that I've studied, observed, interviewed, and really had a chance to get to know. And he's kind of an enigma in that way. But he also seems kind of unrefined in general. Just like a dull person, the way you're describing him, with his monosybolic answers. And the fact that he did these things and, and yet even if it's a sick and twisted interpretation, he seems inarticulate the way you're describing him. So is it possible that he's just uh, an unexceptional person and his crimes are a manifestation of that or the way they were carried out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. He is very unrefined and he's not very intelligent. Um, he's very dull. His personality is exactly that, very dull. This is a guy that sticks out in the crowd. If you see this guy, you immediately remember him. He's very unlike other serial killers. He's tall, very skinny. He looks like Mr. Burns in The Simpsons. Very creepy, very uh, dirty, but not well kept. This guy is by no way Ted Bundy or these guys that just charm to get to people. Uh, this guy is, is very uh, run-of-the-mill guy, but when he gets in prison, and when I meet him, he's got himself a bit of a, I don't know, kind of a, a niche that he has. And that is that he, 
because he is a serial killer, he is here for sexual uh, crimes, there are a lot of people who are uh, involved in this murder memorabilia type of uh, industry, which sell the pictures and the drawings of serial killers. And he really does find his niche there. He starts drawing penises, uh, he, he writes and he uh, draws pictures of penises. He cuts his fingernails, he sells them, he sells pubic hair. He does all these things that you would think a serial killer should do, and he feeds that particular public. And that's one of the things he really does. So much so, he gets himself a groupie, a very young girl in her early 20s, to come see an old 70-something-year-old guy. And I'll get into that when I call back. Amen. Okay, so did I hear you correctly? This girl is in her 20s. She met him in a hard copy classified ad, and now she's actually making the trip to come and visit him in person? Yeah, well, he, like I said, he was involved in this whole murder memorabilia and selling to different uh, dealers, if you want to call them, of this type of material. And because he's a serial killer, wants to the same way, she begins to write him, and she comes to see him. And, and believe me when I tell you, she... And he were both exploiting each other. She's very young, early 20s. Um, and she'd come see him here. And she convinced him that he, she was in love with him and that they were going to get married. So he's ringing around here telling everybody that he has a fiance. It was, it was really pathetic. It, it, it was a joke, basically. But she was coming to see him. And um, he would draw her pictures and stuff. And I think she was also involved in a trade where you have that type of. Uh, relationship with people and you give them things they give you things in return but yeah like I said some of the things he sold were really creepy fingernails pubic hair just I mean it's the most creepy stuff that you would think what the hell would somebody want this stuff for but there is a market out there for some of these serial killers to have rookies like rock stars well I'm wondering what does this girl look like well she was brunette thin woman not I mean, I, I didn't find her attractive. I, I saw her one time, but I did think, my God, it looks like his granddaughter, or anything. But it was pretty pathetic. What are people doing with this memorabilia? Are they, is this like a, a gag, gift, bachelor party, prank type thing? Here's a serial killer's fingernails. Or are they, uh, you know, putting it... <laughs> Are they doing yeah. things with, with it? That I, <laughs> I was gonna say, man. Are they? Yeah. Is this? Is there like a sexual ritual involved? Like, what are they actually using it for? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have the perfect answer for that, but I know that there is a serious market for this. You and I have talked about some of this stuff. John Wayne Gacy, one of his clown paintings that were garbage sold like for, for $40,000. Dave Navarro from the League Guitars from the from the band James Addiction, who's played a number of mega bands, very rich guy, has one of those paintings and other serial killer memorabilia. So there is a twisted type of, you know, I can't stop looking at the accidents mentality when it comes to these type of memorabilia. Why you'd want someone's fingernails is beyond me, but look, I've even seen some of these guys here on the road of serial killers who people go to the, the, the same location where they murdered somebody and they gather the 
descent from that area where the body was. Just have it. And they sell this stuff online. They'll sell it with a map that the serial killer draws out for the particular collector who goes to that place, collects the sand, and then he sells the pitch, the drawing, and the, 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 the directions to where the body was at, and then the sand is for sale. This is some weird, twisted, I don't know what you want to call it, but this happens, and Jablonski was very much involved in it. So I'm picturing this guy who's always been a huge loser. His wives hate him for very good reason. I'm assuming he didn't have a lot of friends on the outside. But now he's in prison and he's got this young girl who's taken with him. And he's got some attention on the outside. So does he begin to develop an ego or is he... What's his mental state? Is he satisfied with himself? Like, oh, I finally made something of myself, or someone finally cares about me. Like, how's he? Um, how's this affecting him? Yeah, I know it's kind of funny because I remember when when he did. I guess she told him she wanted to marry him. He was running around here with a picture of her and showing it to everybody that would have you know, really low self esteem, telling everybody how his fiance is coming to see him. And I'm chuckling because little does he know. What I obviously know is that I know that same girl is coming to see another serial killer who's nearly 90 years old. And she's telling him the same thing, and that is a serial killer by the name of David Carpenter. And David Carpenter is the oldest man on death row in the nation. He's 94 years old. He's 94 years old. He's an old man. So it's funny because... This guy's ringing around, telling everybody he's going to marry this girl, she loves him, it's his fiance, and yet David Carpenter is chuckling to himself because he tells me what's going on, and he understands what the girl is, but he, he says, well, I'm going to go out there and just talk to her. So it turns out he'll love this man, but at this time, David Carpenter was on yard six, and Jim Blonsky was on a yard right next to him. They were on separate yards because one of them was on the ADA yard, and the other one was not. Well, the funny part is they get into an argument over this girl. And Jablonski is, you know, sold that that's his girl. He's got to do the chivalrous act and, you know, confront this 94-year-old guy. And he does so in a manner which he actually tells the administration that, that, that Carpenter is doing all these things he shouldn't be doing, breaking the rules. Just to get him probably put in a hole or something. So he doesn't have to confront him. David Carpenter ends up finding out. So at the top of his lungs, he's calling Jablonski across fences a stool pigeon, a rat. It's the funniest thing in the world to see these two serial killers trying to get each other. Get each other and it, it's a joke. It's almost comical in a way. But it shows you the kind of mentality these guys have. And... Well, Jablonski sold that this girl's in love with him, but Carpenter knows exactly what's going on, and he's kind of just chuckling to himself, and he's just edging this guy on. Yeah, it's a total joke, and I would have to assume that after however many years it's been, Jablonski goes to the administration with all this information. I'm just assuming they're going to laugh at him. Like, they know that he has some kind of motive or something, right? They're not like, oh, well, we need to act on this immediately, I'm assuming. Oh, of course. They, they, they don't pay no attention to this guy. I mean, and the things he's telling on are such 
trivial thing that no one gives a damn about. This is prison, for God's sake. What are they going to do to the guy? Oh, we're going to take your television from you. We're going to put you in the hole. It's just ridiculous. He, he basically told them that he was out there and he was going to, that David Carpenter, a 94-year-old guy, was going to strangle one of the girls to get himself off of the series. It, it was a joke. It was all bullshit. But he figured, Jablonski thought, well, this is the way I'll get this guy away from my girl by telling the administration that he's going to kill her out there. <laughs> Can you believe that? Yeah, it's kind of a, a funny scene, you know, two old, decrepit weirdos uh, acting like children, insolent little children. What's this damsel's? We must know her identity. <clears throat> I don't know if you want to reveal it, but what's her hustle? What is she doing here exactly? Well, she's, yeah, she's exactly the hustler. She's involved in whole memorabilia thing and selling things. So by her taking pictures with these serial killers, she can advertise them on wherever she's advertising that she is, in fact, the real deal, that she has the inside scoop on these guys, that she could, if she goes on talk shows, she can talk about in detail about these guys. But they're not going to tell her nothing. She's a potential victim, is what she is. And these guys aren't going to tell her, her their demos or what they really thought about. That's what this whole memorabilia thing is about. They try, those guys put off the vibe that they're as creepy as they want to be, meaning the guys who collect this stuff. They come see serial killers or the women, so the serial killer will open up to them. They're not going to open up to these people. But now I will say this. In a lot of these cases, the people that come see serial killers are budding serial killers themselves. And they're there to learn. And I know that these serial killers that are here on death row, when they talk to someone with potential, they do reveal a lot of things. MO, reasoning, what happens, why, what they feel. And I know this because of during my interviews and talks with these different serial killers where they began to feel that I was just one of the guys, they would reveal these things to me. So... This particular girl was just trying to get the inside scoop to hopefully write a book or probably get onto a podcast and talk about how she knows these guys. She knows nothing. They weren't going to tell her anything. She's just, as I said, what they figured to be a potential victim. But is Jablonski naive in that, you know, if you're, say you're a rich guy, say you're in your 60s or 70s and you attain a 20-year-old girlfriend, you must know that it's about the money. You must know that you're an old, weird guy, and it's not really normal for a 20-year-old girl yeah, to, to want to be with you. Does Jablonski understand that she has ulterior motives, or is he naive enough or up his own ass to think, no, she's really into me? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say what he was thinking, but he was genuinely interested in her. But I think that that, that interest would have wore out. If he would have been able to get out and be around her, he would have killed her. Because this guy does. I think he kind of fooled himself, but like the old man that's a millionaire and has a 25 year old girl that's, you know, gushing all over him, yeah, he knows what's going on, but it's like, it's, it's, you know, I one time talked to one of those guys about that particular issue. It was a serial killer, and I said, you know, these girls that come see you, you've got to know. So, like you said, this is all bullshit. They're not going to, he says, yeah, but see, when you're a young guy, Women like you because your looks, your body, whatever. When you get old, if you're rich, they like you for your money. If you're me, they like you because I'm interesting and because I'm this serial killer or I'm this guy you think I'm a serial killer because some of them said it isn't. But in any situation, they're always after something. 
And it was a kind of an interesting point for them to make that, that they believe that women are always after something. So if you're young, they're after you because your body. If you're old, it's because your money. If you're a serial killer, it's for the, for the notoriety. So no matter how you look at it, a woman's, a woman's always in a relationship is always after something that you have to offer. He says, I don't have my looks anymore. I don't have my youth. I don't have any money, but I have my fame. That's how he justified it. Yeah, I don't know if he has any business comparing his plight. Because I've thought about that. If you're Johnny Depp, how do you know? If everyone knows you, they know you have some money and some connections. It's impossible to not know that. You know, it's impossible to find a jury that doesn't know who Johnny Depp is. So how do you know if the girl likes you for you or for your money? I, I don't know, but I know that Jablonski's not Johnny Depp. And also, I know Johnny Depp might Although suffer. he probably thinks he is. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, Depp might suffer from this same delusion, too. You know, this girl's in her 30s, and uh, she's nuts. So what does he think? You know, you're just trying to hang on to that last shred of youth when it didn't matter. But, you know, it does matter as you get older. But granted, Johnny Depp was a pretty good-looking guy. He probably would have got girls like Amber, whatever her name is, you know, Ten times better looking at her. So I mean, there is that thing because you can look at picture, take a look at a picture of what he used to look like instead of the, the creepy guy he looks like now, right? Right. So what about Carpenter? I mean, why is he behaving in this juvenile manner? Uh, well, I shouldn't say why, but what, what's his kind of character all about? Like, why is he stooping to this pathetic schoolyard game that they're playing? I think with him, it's more about, he's kind of, uh, it's really interesting because he's 94 years old. He's as sharp as a 20-year-old when it comes to his mind. He's very sharp. I think he was just playing the game because it amused him. That's all it does. It amused him. He knew they could get this guy going by, you know, seeing that girl and going after it. And, you know, he, he understood that he was playing a jealousy game. They probably got him. He's blood pumping because, I mean, he's not even freaking four years old. The guy probably farts dust. Yeah, actually, I could see myself doing something like that. If I didn't like the guy, and I knew what this chick was doing, but I knew he was actually attached to her, you know, you can mess with that guy. You could drive that guy up the wall if you want to because you Absolutely. have all the power because you don't care. You know it's a joke. Exactly. That's exactly what he was doing. That's exactly what Carpenter's doing. I, I thought it was kind of funny. I chuckled to myself. I took notes. I watched it, but that's exactly what happened. Yeah, so is this whole saga with this succubus going down, is Jablonski, like, declining in health? Because you said he's in the disabled yard, uh, but he dies at 73. He's not that old. I mean, he is an old man, but he's not... He's not at the age that a lot of people are in, like, rapid decline. I don't know. Like, what? what how does this all relate no, his, to his state? Yeah, his, his health is bad. He, you know, this is an extremely rail thing guy who would walk and he'd give a wind blue. He'd kind of fall over a little bit. He, he would be on the yard laying on the concrete, just falling asleep like a bum on the, on the yard. Like I say, he's a very well, un, unkept guy. Did not take care of himself physically, his hygiene, none of those things. He'd walk around with shorts that were basically soiled. And he was just a, a mess. And his, his health was really declining quickly. And uh, 
he just sat around, he'd come out the yard, he'd lay around and he'd share pictures with other serial killers and stuff like that. As far as, he was so uninterested in the normal things that normal people do in life, like taking baths or whatever. Do guys like that get approached by media and shitty tabloids and things like that a lot? I mean, did he, is he getting a lot of attention from other outlets? Well, he was getting attention because he would put himself in a position to getting attention. He'd make himself available to press and were want to speak to him. And he figured that his fame would rise by being associated with these guys in this, this murder memorabilia field, which buys all this, this creepy stuff. And that's how he kind of fed his ego in a way. Very, I guess if you look at it, it's a, a very low-end attention, but he was getting it. Mm-hmm. And what was the last conversation you had with him before he passed away in his cell of unknown causes? Uh, probably about a week before he just died. He was on the yard, and, and I'm sure I said a couple words to him, and that was about it. But he's just very uninteresting, okay? In the total poll of serial killers, he's at the bottom. He's not what you would say, and I know this sounds kind of way out, but Randy Kraft or Ted Bundy or... Gacy, these guys are the are the, the cream of the crop of serial killers, is that what you want to call them? This guy, in a lot of sense, people didn't even consider him a serial killer. He was just a guy who killed a couple people he knew, and he, he, that was it. It was it was a spree that he killed within like ten days. He killed four people, and then one before that was decades before that. So he was doing everything he can. That I have noticed that about serial killers is that. If they're on the low end of the totem pole, they got caught very early, or they're not considered by, by certain experts as serial killers, although their count is about four to five, they do everything they can to get attention so people classify them as serial killers. They're, they're actually looking for that type of uh, acknowledgement. How is he treated by the other serial killers? Because, uh, like you said, exactly what you just said, he's not really that interesting by their standards. You know, he's just killing women that he knows. Uh, but do they, are they competitive about that kind of thing? Do they look down on him from their side? No, they, but, well, like serial killers have that, I guess you want to call it a chain of command or the hierarchy. The serial killers that were in the middle somewhere always wanted to feel like they were better. So the, 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 the serial killers that didn't have their reputation would kind of share photographs. And so they kind of like, you know, feel their whole self-esteem by being around people that are less than they are. It's very funny demographic, but the high-end guys, meaning the, the killers that have 40, 50 murders or more, and are really well-known by the media, they tend not to get involved with a lot of these memorabilia murder uh, websites and, and groupies, because they don't want that kind of uh, attention, because they already have the media attention. It's very funny how that works. I guess it's like a rock band. Rock bands that rock bands that go to uh, to major gigs at the forum usually don't go to the go go whiskey to, to, to flirt with a bunch of dumb groupies, right? Because they're from the cream of the crop and they get the best uh, I guess groupies are the best people around them. And it's the media, it's ABC, CBS. It's real journalists talking about them because of their killer accounts. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So did this guy, we kind of glossed over it, which we probably should have because it's uncomfortable, but, you know, getting raped by your dad 
I think is about as bad as it can get in terms of uh, something that could lead you to be nuts. Did he ever address that? Did he ever seek any help for dealing with that? He did not. He, he really did not. He avoided the subject. Uh, I mean, as I said, this is a guy that you can argue that whole thing about environment. Serial killers are made rather than born, which is my, my thesis or my uh, opinion about that. But this guy is a guy you can really argue the other side for because he went through that kind of stuff as a kid. But he never, it, it didn't seem that he expressed it by lighting fires and by killing, torturing animals. That doesn't exist with this guy. But he does go to Vietnam for a couple of years. What happened over there? He refused to talk about it. I asked him, you know, and I, I kind of compared it because he did acknowledge that he was a killer. It wasn't like he was saying, look, I'm not that guy. He admitted that he killed those women to me. So I asked him, look, you know, you, you killed this person when you got back from Vietnam, but what happened in Vietnam? Did you kill people there? And, you know, he said, well, I had, it was my job to kill people. But he wouldn't go into detail. My suspicions are that he did all of his experimenting, a lot of the, the torturing or lighting fires that people usually express as adolescents before they become some. I believe that happened in Vietnam, and I also believe that he's kind of embarrassed about it. He was not very successful, and therefore that's why he didn't talk about it, or he wouldn't talk about it while he was alive. Yeah. So how does this often... Like, how linear can this be? Because I think we'd have a much different opinion of this guy if we knew that he was raped by his father. And as he grew up, he kind of made it his mission to go murder child molesters. I think we'd all be really cool with that. At least I would. I'd be like, what a guy. I should, uh, you know, applaud him for that. But in his mind, these things, I guess, get twisted up because one thing really has nothing to do with the other. You know, you're you're abused by your father, so you decide to kill people that are close to you. Correct. And, and there's also the, the whole the psychology that maybe as a young adolescent, because he didn't have the tools to deal with that, he blamed his mother. His mother should have protected him. His mother should have been more nurturing. There's a lot of different reasons why someone's psychology gets twisted. This guy was obviously not normal. Was he born that way? Probably the actions that took place in his earlier youth have an impact on how he acted later? Possibly. More than likely. Did they make him into a serial killer? I don't know. I, I, I still think he was wired that way. And when the abuse he took, he began, it began to manifest much later in life. But nonetheless, he became a serial killer. And as unrefined as he was, he did kill five people, and that, for general terms, makes him into a serial killer by definition. So how often do you see the straight-up Punisher character, just the straight-up Vendetta guy, the Charles Bronson retribution character in prison that's just very cause and effect? This person or this type of person screwed me over, and now I'm going to dedicate all my time to killing them. Yeah, not very often. I, look, we could argue that point for for women who have killed men uh, because they were itself they they were abused by men. But in men's prisons, you, know, you don't see that Punisher Dolph Lundgren guy who's out there because of what happened to his child. He's out there killing because of that reason. 
I'm not sure you can justify that, but no. When you have a guy doing these killings where it's multiple murders, it's usually because they were hired to do it, they're, they're, they're hitmen, uh, or they're mass shooters, those guys that went around just shooting people because they're pissed off. So, yeah, so there are many punishers in prison. As I mentioned, mass murderers, hitmen, guys are here for killing, doing a robbery or whatever, or whatever they were doing. And then there's the serial killer. And there is no rhyme or reason why this guy should be killing him. You know, he did take things while he was there, when he killed the people, but that wasn't the, the intent. That was just an opportunity. It's like, you, you, he kills somebody, and there's a $100 bill on the floor, he picks it up, sticks it in his pocket, now it's a robbery, but that was not his intention. Yeah. Yeah, I think normal people, just normal men with a lot of testosterone, they might have like a kill list or they might have an elaborate plot to like murder their high school principal or something, but they understand that it's fantasy. Um, and I, I don't think they find themselves like sitting in a car in a parking lot, actually debating whether or not to carry the thing through. You know what I mean? Yeah, I kind of don't know what you mean. You're beginning to give a little peek into the psychology of Matt here again, I see. that uh, we. So, let's talk about this, Matt. Did you have a kill list in your high school class you carried in your locker room, or what, what was going on here? No. No, it's mostly just people in government. It's probably all I'm, I'm going to say about it. <laughs> Maybe you should edit that, you know? Now you, now you got a kill list of people in government, huh? Wow. What? It's part of a healthy... <laughs> you know, process of, uh, of dealing with your problems. You make a list and then you put it in a drawer. I thought, I thought we all did this. Maybe I'm the odd man out here. Well, we have a person that made lists before and he happened to be a serial Joe Naso, they made a little list and they happen to be actually true. So <laughs> maybe we should not, uh, we should encourage that one there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a new age therapy bill it's it's working wonders for a lot of people it's, it hasn't gained mainstream acceptance yet but you know i think uh, soon we'll all yeah I'll, I'll be on oprah at some point here so all right uh good to know about this guy jablonski he's just one of the types of characters you're going to encounter on death row and uh I'm assuming no one missed him. Did no one what? No one missed him. I mean, what happened after yeah. they uh, scooped him up out What's of the sun? What's it side? like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? No, people ask him, what happened to him because they never established a we shall be back next time with another story so until then i think Be aware of your surroundings. Your life can depend on it. We'll see you next time.